welcome back to the Some Sort of Miracle podcast. My name's Ed, and I'm joined today by Lauren. Hello. Paul. Hi. Jacob. Hi. And Nick. Hiya. Today we are talking about the topic of fear, and we've had quite a lot of questions through from the listener group this time, so I'm quite looking forward to this one. Uh, usually at this point in the podcast, I would ask how we're all feeling about this topic, but today I thought I'd start with something a little bit different. So I thought I'd ask, um, ask everyone if we had any irrational fears. As a kid, I was never too fond of clowns. Right. That is a picture of me sat on, um, I think we're on holiday somewhere, and there's a clown that's got like, his arm around me, and I'm like, leaning away as far as possible. I just like, hated him for some reason. Um, but I seem to have kind of got over that a little bit. I was never too keen i'm still you know scary crown clowns and stuff like that i'm not not all sure. that fussed about but yeah i don't know what it is i think it's just the, the fake happiness all the time yeah i'm not i'm not sure that's too irrational because they are just a bit freaky aren't they i mean it's, i guess it's irrational in the sense that they're, they're most likely not going to attack you but um <laughs> <laughs> you don't know anyway you know i have a, a genuine fear of bridges don't laugh Right, Kevin Bridges. <laughs> just, just bridges. What I don't like bridges. bridges. Uh, I don't know. My legs go like jelly when I walk in them, and I don't like it. Right. Um, I've I've tried to analyse it over the years, and I think the fear is more like the fear of like edges, okay, of like falling and stuff like that. But yeah. it's just it, I don't know. I don't know if I've just watched one too many films where bridges just collapse or what but i just don't like bridges because it's just like one massive edge that you could just fall down i, I don't know what it is are you scared of heights in there no <laughs> so if if like so if i was on the london eye i would be fine okay but but on the bridge because i could fall off that that's right. pretty scary so like those walkways where they're like a glass bottom where you can look straight down is that like your idea of like of hell is that a nightmare? So if it was like fully enclosed, yeah, I would probably be okay. All right, okay. I think I think my legs would still be like jelly, but I would be a little bit more like yeah. be able to like rationalise it. But it's but, the open. Yeah, but like you know, like um, like rope bridges that have got like gaps in between. No, no. Right. Yeah, okay. that's my strange fear. Yeah. Anybody else? That makes sense though, because I think there's like there's meant to be two innate fears that we have as human beings. Once falling and the other one's loud noises so it kind of makes sense if the fear of falling it adds up like from a like evolution point of view that that's kind of built into us i don't think mine mine is necessarily strictly a fear but um there's certain types of carpet that you know the type of carpet where if you rub it one way it kind of it's smooth and it just goes but you rub it the other way and there's like a resistance velour uh, velour or like crushed velvet i don't know i don't know what the what the actual word for it is but i distinctly remember being in primary school and having to sit on the floor and i'd always remember like crossing my legs actually hurting sat on the floor for ages and i had to do it all the time all the time primary school and just touching this carpet and now it makes me like oh it makes me feel physically sick to to touch materials like that that are okay in one direction but not in the other i really don't like polyester you know when you like you get something like a so like a mug or something and it comes in like the white polyester and you've got to touch it Ugh. it makes me cringe just thinking about it but, like i hate touching it because it just makes my whole body like quiver in like i just i just cannot stand touching it so like anything if i get like when i got a new tv for my birthday this year i basically just I had to put my hands my, my sleeves over my over my hands to literally pick the polyester up because I, I hate touching it i just hate the feel of it wow like how do you get on with those um takeaway thing you know like the takeaway that they're polystyrene out you know the, the like it's brown more, yellow ones it's more the ones where you can like it can snap quite easily like the white bits and it then oh, breaks yeah. like the sound of it and it's really like it's quite squeaky as well at yeah, times. yeah rub them together yeah uh, what about you paul um i don't think that i've got any irrational fears i'm not fond of like spiders okay but I'm, i wouldn't say i'm like I, don't, I wouldn't say it's a phobia. I'm not like petrified. I'll deal with a spider if I have to. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, I just ignore it. So, but apart from that, I don't think there's anything particularly irrational like carpets <laughs> that scare me. It's perfectly rational. <laughs> oh, sorry. So I have a, a bit of a theory about people who say that they're not, you know, no fear or not scared of anything. Okay. Um, and they, I think they fall into two categories. 
One is liars and the other is psychopaths. I'm not, <laughs> not so sure. Right. Nobody is scared of absolutely nothing. I mean, it's nice to pretend that, you know, you've been a hard man and all that. Well, I'm not scared of anything, but somewhere some, there will be something, whether that's a, a, like a very rational fear or something that's totally irrational. There, there is something, some, it's built into us as humans, unless, as I say, you're a complete psychopath. When, right. when it comes to rational fears, I'm a complete coward, just to be just to show. I don't have any <laughs> yeah. rational ones. I'm an absolute coward when it comes to anything that might actually be scary. We can crush you off the list as not being a psychopath. Though. <laughs> yeah, good. So it sounds like you've thought a lot about this theory. Uh, what what prompted that that mental excursion That's... you've been on? It's because I was, I fit myself into it was one of those, it's not a psychopath, one of those categories. <laughs> I think like it's easy to pretend like, oh, you know, I'm not scared of anything, you know, I've got the world at my feet and all the rest of it. But actually, it's, it's, it's just lying, isn't it? But let's be honest. Like if you, if you spend the time to look inwardly enough, you'll find something that makes you, it either makes you uncomfortable or something that you do as a deep seated fear of. Mm. Um, and that can be something completely arbitrary, you know, like we were just talking about, oh, that can be that a really, really deep thing. Um, so it's just whether people are willing to be honest with themselves about it, I guess, is is where I kind of arrived at that conclusion. I think you get a macho element of yeah. not wanting to look scared. So you're scared of not wanting to seem scared. Exactly. Yeah. It's something in itself and the fear of other people's perceptions. Mm. I think, yeah, that's it's one of the reasons I specifically with that opening question asked about irrational fears so that if i just said fears what are we afraid of that conversation could go on just forever couldn't it there's like there's, there's so many things that um like even small things are in, in like my day-to-day life that that like scare me a little bit as i'm doing it say like emailing someone i don't know hate doing that absolutely hate it like i just reread it over and over again say what's my tone like that uh, makes me a little bit on edge makes me a little bit anxious so but I wouldn't describe that as, I don't know, uh, a, a big fear that is present in my life. But And yet it's something that happens on a fairly regular occasion, but you just got to deal with it. Yeah, I guess there's those day-to-day things, isn't there? That, like you said, the, the little questions are the, the little underlying things that, like I say, you can dress it up as... There's lots of different terms now, like, say, fears or you know, anxieties or, you know, element of stress or things like that. Um, but, yeah, the, it... it that can feed into every decision we make, um, which is why it's such a big topic, I think, which is why it's such a, a, a huge thing to to talk about. Like I say, we could have a conversation just between the five of us about, you know, things that maybe unsettle us um, just day to day. That could easily last an hour, but you're not for our listeners with that. <laughs> I guess in a way it might be helpful for us just to have a quick chat about how we define fear. Because like you said there, there's so many terms like uh, fears and anxieties and all those sort of things. And I guess there are differences between the two. But when we talk specifically about fear, what 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 are the things that you're talking about there? What um, yeah, what are the boundaries for that term? The Google definition of uh, fear is it is a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, pain, etc. Whether the threat is real or imagined, the feeling or condition of being afraid. So that is very much on the sense of like animalistic, and it's a case of fight or flight. Like there's impending danger. You feel like something bad is going to happen, and that is why fear is there. I take from that. I think you can separate that out. Like you can take another step alongside that. I know we mentioned briefly when talking about the fear of falling, like those innate fears that we that we just have as humans so i think you can kind of separate between that that innate fear of something that's a threat to you know life or um or or damage to us and also a perceived fear which which is slightly different which is something that uh, that's our reality um is going to be specific to our reality should i say so for example that would just things that were individually that we we're uncomfortable with or we're afraid of and that differs from person to person just because of our own perceptions our own reality so there's that perceived fear and then that innate fear i reckon that there's quite a big distinction to draw between those two two ideas it's interesting i can't remember who mentioned it um 
a second ago, but someone mentioned fight or flight. Um, and yeah, I guess that's more, more about how we respond to those things that make us afraid. But um, I was reading the other day about how there's more than just those two options. There's, um, and this probably isn't an exhaustive list, but fight, flight, freeze, faint, feign, or fawn, and that all these different Fs that have, they've shoehorned into it. But um, yeah, I, I find it helpful because actually quite often when I'm afraid about stuff, my instinct is just to freeze and just to not, not do anything about it, just to completely yeah, freeze up. Um, so when people kind of spoke about responding by either fighting or, or, or running away, I was like, well, I'm not sure either of those quite fit for me. But. It's like a rabbit in the headlights, isn't it? What I think is interesting about the definition is, is what I think is interesting about the definition as well is that it talks about whether it being a feeling or a condition of, in the sense of that we we could be conditioned to fear something in that sense. Definitely, I think that feeds into that that kind of perception as well. That what what it is that we our reality is dictating to us at the time. Um, it's yeah, that's. That kind of wraps it all up together, I suppose. It kind of bundles them both together. But I thought it's probably worthwhile um, separating them out just for discussion later on. I guess what drives that fear is probably um, how you'd separate it out, whether that's, a, as I say, a threat to life or whether that's a, a threat to us, how we see our personal image or, or whether we, you know, our social status or all those kind of things. Um, that can be, a, yeah. A different thing altogether yeah. and that's probably a type of fear that maybe we're more familiar with um day to day that i that fear of losing face or yeah um yeah i definitely i guess that's i can see that in the way i respond to some things it's it's those fears about how you're going to be perceived that are probably more present than or, or more frequent than that fear of being attacked by something out of, out of the blue <laughs> Yeah, we don't really, I mean, apart from, a, you know, things like car crashes and things like that, we don't really, we don't get hunted, you know, like by lions and stuff. We don't live in an environment where that's going to be a legitimate fear, really, unless you um, put yourself in some really crazy situations. Yeah. Um, Although, having yeah. said that, I, I guess, <laughs> Hang on. Now, now, I'm, now I'm thinking about it, like every now and then, and I, I am an adult, but every now and again, I'll be laying in bed and I'll just hear this little noise and I have no idea where it comes from. I'm like, what's that? What's that? Is there, is there someone in, in, in the flat? Is someone here? And it's not that it's never the loud noises. If I hear a big like door shutting, I might like, that's fine. But if I hear just like a little twig creaking or something, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, so like I mentioned earlier, we have had quite a few questions from the listener group, which is amazing actually. It was it, it really helps us out in steering these conversations. Um um, so the first one we've got is from Emily um, and Lauren is going to read that question for us. Yeah. So thanks for your question, Emily. Um, Cause it kind of fed into where my thoughts were around the topic of fear. Um, so Emily's question was, can fear be positive? Um, and I was kind of like at a point where I get quite confused by the way that the word fear is used within the Bible because it's, I think it's referred to something like 366 times in the Bible. Um, but it's not always in the same context. So one minute it's do not fear. And then the next minute it's you should fear. Um, so I find that can be a little bit uh, confusing. So it's kind of like, obviously what we've talked about so far is that fear is quite a negative emotion. Um, so it's whether fear can be a positive thing within our lives. What what do you guys think about that? I, I think fear can be positive because it's, like you say, it's, it's mentioned that you should fear and you should not fear. Like there's some things in life where like, so say if you wanted to go for a new job, you are going to be kind, you are going to be kind of fearful for the outcome. Or if it's something that is brand new to you, it is, it's, it's about taking the risk, isn't it? It's about with that risk comes the fear of it going wrong or, the fear of not being good enough to do it. So like you've got, you've got to be kind of scared to throw yourself into that situation to take the risk. Whereas on, on the flip side of that is there are things that you ask that you are scared of. Like we've got rational and irrational fears. Like 
and it's 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 kind of like you can't really deal with those fears unless you're in that situation so like I'm not going to say I'm scared of lions, but if you put me in a lion cage, I will probably be scared of lions. But I don't know when I'm ever going to be in a lion cage, so that's kind of lucky for me, I guess. Would you be scared of lions or would you be scared of dying? Um, I'd probably be scared of what the lion will do, but it probably will mean death, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's really hard then. Like, like Lauren mentioned, the Bible talks a lot about fear and it talks... It has this phrase it uses all the time, which is do not be afraid. <laughs> and I heard someone preaching about it once and they, they said, uh, what does um, heaven say to earth every time they meet? It says, do not be afraid. And I thought that was a really lovely like um, quote, really, just about this this concept that uh, whenever, like when the angel showed up to Mary or the, all those sort of occasions, quite often you see this phrase, do not be afraid um, there. So yeah, how do we manage that? Uh, it's how that fits in as well because it's not it's, it's very non-specific. That it's not saying do not be afraid of me because I'm a heavenly being. It could it could legitimately be saying do not be afraid of this situation that you're in, or do not be afraid of what's going to come after I've told you. So I think for me, it's just kind of changed my view on that. As you were talking, I've always taken it as do not be afraid of me because I'm an angel or because I'm from God, but actually. The, 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 there's quite a, a strong argument to say it might just be do not be afraid of everything that's going on as to what's what has led up to this point of the angel being there or God speaking directly. Um, but, and I suppose we won't really have the um, answer to which one of those that fits into because it's kind of, yeah, written, buried in the, in the story. But. but I guess back to the question of uh, can it be a positive thing? We we talk we the Bible talks about um, having fear of the Lord and that's quite a a difficult concept for us to get our heads around. But I've heard it discussed where it mainly means like having that kind of respect, um, have it, acknowledging that God is the creator of the universe. And when we approach Him, we're approaching Him as both our our loving Father, our Abba Father, but also as the creator of the of the universe and everything. So there has got to be that level of respect, that level of um, awe and wonder in, in who we're communicating with as well. I'd argue, is it really respect though if it's out of fear? Like if, if, if you're just following God's will because you're petrified of him, I don't really think that's... And that's why I think that the, the word is unhelpful now in, in some yeah. senses, because when I don't think it means that type of fear. I don't think it means fear as in we need to be worried about what God's going to do. Um, and that that phrase of that's what they were speaking about when that person who quoted um, who adds that quote, when heaven meets earth, it says, do not be afraid. And I think um, in, in some senses, you can interpret that to mean that uh, we don't need to be afraid of who God is because we can trust in the fact that firstly, God is like Jesus. And secondly, Jesus was loving, I guess, to, to all those around him. So, um, yeah, I don't think I would interpret fear in the lord as being something we need to worry about what god's going to do but actually that we need to have respect for him as well yeah i think when you see uh if, if you were to imagine seeing god in all his sort of splendor in all his power the most powerful thing that has ever been or will be i think it's probably going to kind of evoke that sort of reaction from where you don't know what to do with yourself because you've seen something that's like it just so so much more powerful than anything you can ever comprehend so i think it's a it's sort of to me it would it would probably evoke that sort of fight or flight instinct where you go i don't know what to do with myself because i can't actually take this in and I, that's always been how i've seen that sense of when it says fear god so when we think about the bible verse that says perfect love drives out all fear how does that play a part in kind of what we're saying about fearing God. I, I would love to read what the original word was that's been translated to fear, because like in the Hebrew language, for example, they don't have any words for abstract notions or concepts. So like the word for anger would often be um, nose. And they would, it, and if you literally translated it, it would come out as nose. But um, that idea of nose to, in the Hebrew could be used to bring out the image of flaring your nostrils and being angry. And there's that's one example that is 
of loads and loads and loads of different words within the Hebrew language. So, um, yeah, and and I guess you could you could probably say there are similar things like linguistic things going on with uh, Greek, Aramaic, or whatever languages it can be translated from. So um, it's difficult. I'd love to. Yeah, what has been translated to fear may not um, fit being the same type of fear in every in every setting. Just like we see the the four um, different types of love in Hebrew and or is it four in Greek and is it three in Hebrew? I don't know. I get lost. But um, like they use they add so many more words for love than we do. I imagine it might be the same with fear. I mean, that's a guess. <laughs> I think yeah. that that ties in when you look at perfect love casts out all fear it's probably all things or not all things to be afraid of but the the emotion of being scared right and that's very much different to how we've perceived fear god as being a sort of reverent um respect of the power of god yeah as somebody that um has suffered with anxiety for a long time um i have always found that bible verse a challenge because i've always thought well if God loves me perfectly and I strive to love him, then all my fears will go away. Um, but actually, if we're thinking about it from a point of view of what Emily's asked, that actually fear can be a positive thing if it's used in the right way. I don't know if that's the right phrase, but um, it it makes me question how, how that works. I think it's important when we look at the Bible as well, is there's so many different nuances i know like um you were saying it about the the hebrew translations and the contexts around that it was being um that the text was written in sorry um so there's so many different variants to the text and then we're we're looking to two and a half thousand three thousand years later at the same text trying to make sense of it in a modern society where we have a little bit more of an understanding around things like anxiety and uh, and stress and how those things can impact us mentally um so i think w- yeah with verses like that maybe doing like a proper deep dive as to what is really mm-hmm. meant by the text what is what what they're trying to say and who to how does that apply to us today that's really key into because sometimes we get these verses that we just stick out and then it's mm-hmm. like well if this then if that's true on its own it doesn't make sense of anything else or it, it seems to conflict with the nature of god in in other elements of the bible so um but it, 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 there's so much of the bible to do that with it becomes I don't, i'm not so sure there's any theologian that's done that with all of the bible because it would you know it take a lifetime so uh, i think it's really important to bear that in mind particularly with verses that can be seen as unhelpful or can be cause a little sticking point um for us in in wherever we're at is just finding out you know what is what is exactly meant by that and and who to and where and and how does that apply to us yeah that's really helpful you could also argue there's there's other verses in the bible which help like counteract fear so like just off the top of my head if you take philippians 4 verse 13 i can do all things through christ who strengthens me that should mean that that you should there should be less you should not be fearful as god is is with you in that sort of sense as well so like if if we take away it from that verse and look at other verses how i don't i don't know how i'm trying to word this like how if god's all powerful what do we have to fear is, i think is the question i'm going for it's a big question i realize but how do you how do you strike the balance between not being fearful because god's got it all covered and obviously the natural instinct as humans to feel fear yeah, it's it's a hard one because um like you see so often like people praying for situations to be resolved, uh for people to be healed, for um I guess you, let's look at this this pandemic we're in right now. How many Christian people are cr- praying all over the world now for this to be over and for people to be healed and uh for this not to be killing so many thousands of people and yet here we are. Um so we we can't have a theology that says that God um, comes in and changes everything. And, you know, sometimes he does, but we, we can't have a theology that says he causes it either. Or um, So I find it a really difficult thing to yeah get your head around in how, how do we trust in God and not be afraid when there are, 
I guess the thing is that where there are earthly ramifications for things that happen. And you could argue that what is the root of our fear in those things? Is it death? Is it a loss of significance? Is it a loss of acceptance or love? And, you know, you could say, you know, if it, if we're afraid of death, sure, that that's really, that is something that I, yeah, I'm afraid of. I imagine most people are afraid of. But we, in Christ, we can have a hope of something beyond that, something um, that is lasting. Uh, I guess for significance and love, you could then say that actually where we're looking for that could lead us into fear if we're not looking for that in in Christ. But yeah, it, it certainly leaves you with more questions than answers when you start breaking into this sort of thing. Would you say that the pandemic's changed your concept of fear at all? Or like, is it open up to Because I'd say for me, like the whole pandemic it's, I'm not now petrified of like diseases, but it's it's really opened up my mind to a new sort of ideology that I'd never thought of. Like, so there's the new ideology that there is now like global pandemics and diseases that are going on that I'd never even thought about before. It's it, it's petrifying to be honest. If you look at the numbers that how many people have died as well because of it, it's, it's scary. Like, is is anyone else like sort of felt like that or experienced something similar? Yeah, totally. Because I think as as part of my trying to manage anxiety has to to give myself some certainty in things, that's that's not really been an option during this whole process. Um so it's made me uh look into to a bit like like you said, Ed, what, what I'm putting my hope in, what I'm um what I'm like really trusting um rather than what I'm trying to fix in my own strength and what I'm trying to um put certainty on if that makes sense i was thinking um sorry i was listening to a guy uh speak about the concept of fear and it was um it's very generic but it did sort of lean on christian teaching so i'm guessing he was a uh, a christian or had some kind of spiritual uh faith and he was he mentioned that um for him faith was a it was a case of mistaken identity and I think that fits in really nicely with what you were saying, Ed, about that. If it's a fear of a uh, loss of acceptance, then you know what? Where does that? Where should that come from? Or where does it come from? And um, or a, a loss of love, and and all those kind of things. All these characteristics that we can see in God, which who is the source of all these things. Um, I think that that fits kind of ties those two ideas together really nicely from what you were saying, Ed, and what you were saying, Lauren. That that case of who am I in the first place and then where does that come from what is it that's driving it would probably lead us into a different place than we started and I guess that's where the difference in what the bible talks about like do not fear and we talk about those innate fears that we have and those those irrational fears that we have as well alongside the fear in God it's what what is driving that fear are you driven to to find out more about god and to put your trust in him in that your fears driven to that or are you driven by the the other fears that then consume your life in a different way it, and for me as well i'm not sure at any point the bible is saying do not fear at all i think it's being quite specific around circumstances and situations that like for example if someone had a, a gun to a loved one's head for example i would be fearful for them uh, i think that's very healthy I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that altogether i'm not saying so i'm pretty sure that the, the bible's not saying don't be scared of anything at all yeah. i think it's saying in, in these situations oh yeah. Uh, yeah where is that fear coming from uh, understanding where that is it yeah. is a key to overcoming it yeah, I do agree with you, but I've, I've definitely heard preaching in the past that would kind of come from a different perspective, like using Philippians 4 verse 6, uh, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Um, I, I, I think uh, it's difficult when he uses words like do not be anxious about anything. Um, but then is it the difference between it's not telling us not to feel that fear, which is an emotion, it's not necessarily telling us to not feel it, but it's then what, what you then do with that emotion. Yeah. Do you let that emotion rule you or do you let that emotion drive you to mm. pray about everything? Does it drive you to, to seek God more in those situations? Does it drive you to deepen your trust in those situations or does it drive you to become consumed in that, in that emotion and in that feeling? 
And then does that then rule your actions and your behaviours? I think that's a very good answer to Emily's question in the end of that. So fear can be used in a positive way. It's about whether it drives you to do something it spurs you on to do it or maybe it consumes you, like you said. It can give you like a heightened sense of things as well. Just thinking as like if, for example, on um, on stage, if you're naturally as a musician, you're going to get nervous at some point and, and generally t- try to deal with that it's only natural and anyone who says they're not nervous on stage again <laughs> might be uh my question that liar and psychopath um debate that we had earlier um but it's how how you use that then if you if you can use that adrenaline to sharpen your mind and to focus and to and to deliver a good performance then i guess you're using your fear in a positive way because you're taking something that that is there's a, a negative feeling and turning it into something what can be something really beautiful um although that's not often perceived by the audience generally sometimes i'll see someone who looks quite calm and is you know who's delivering you know a, a beautiful performance but actually internally there'll be something going on in there um unless they're completely dead to the world and everything in it yeah yeah i think that is helpful thinking about it in that sense that we can't always control the emotion we feel but we can usually control our response to that so yeah we can't control when we're afraid of things but actually what yeah what you like you say lauren what you do with that how you respond is yeah where we can maybe have a bit more influence should we move on to the next question then so i think our next one was from jack uh and jacob's going to read that one for us yeah so jack jack asks um how should we as christians approach 2 timothy 1 verse 7 when confronted with fear, the biological inevitability of fear as a means of protecting ourselves from physical, mental or emotional harm. And for example, if we see an injustice that we can intervene in, but doing so could result in us being physically harmed or socially judged by peers, how do we then decide what to do when faced with 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 and the fear of intervening? Could so somebody that's... read, Timothy, please? Yeah, I've got... So 2 Timothy 1 7 is... Um, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So that in isolation is very powerful. But if you then look into the context it was written in, so Paul's, um, sorry, not Paul, Timothy's in prison. Uh, oh, is it? Hang on. It's Paul's uh, letter to Timothy. It's, it's Paul, it, yeah. Timothy sorry. So um, Paul's in prison at the time of this being written. And he's on his last legs by by all accounts. And basically, Christians are being persecuted throughout the the Roman Empire. So basically, he's saying to people, "Don't tr- don't be afraid of evangelism, despite the consequences that may come as a result of it." I was, he's certainly saying at least to try that. Um, so I guess yeah, that if you put that into context, do we? I suppose the fear of intervening in in those situations feels fairly minor compared to a, a definite threat to life but do you think you can draw a parallel between those two those two ideas you see what i mean from what paul's actually saying to to the people he's writing to and to how we perceive that in 21st century england hmm. i don't have an answer to that question but um, I think it could do. be seen like because obviously it's just paul's writing it could be seen that he's honestly just putting on a brave face for everyone else. Like, if he's in prison, not knowing what's going to happen to him, he's telling people to trust in God, even though he doesn't know for sure. He trusts in God that much that fear is not a feeling that he's he has at that moment in time because he's, he trusts God so much, even though he doesn't have the answer. He trusts God that much that he can portray his feelings to other people, and that they'll find the answers within that. He's kind of living it out as well because he's yeah. he's in prison at the time and he ends up he gets beheaded shortly afterwards. So it's yeah. um it, the the threat to his life was very very real. It wasn't like conceptual. It was you know I'm going to die probably very soon. But you guys don't be afraid of that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an amazing bit of scripture, really, isn't it? Um, mm. And especially given it that context of of the situation Paul found himself in. Um, yeah, for me. You can you can take any, you can take so many verses and discuss you know is this just applicable contextually for who it was written for and the time or is this a universal truth that can be applied in a, any situation and I think 
either side of those have has its dangers. So, like, if you take um, some parts of the Bible and apply them universally, you can justify anything in the world. Mm. Um, but also, I think we can lose some of the truth by saying it's all just contextual and not to be taken out of that. For mm. me, it's it, it for this one. It's it's a bit of both, isn't it? Because he is pointing towards a a spiritual truth about who we are, about who God has made us to be. Um, and I think it's that reminder of what is central to who we are. And it's that reminder that although we feel we feel fear, although we can experience these things, actually, what is the center? What is our spirit consisting of? And if, you know, if we trust who God says we are, that is power, love and self-control. Um, and I think that in a way that is an encouragement to people, isn't it? And I think that that sense of encouragement should be used widely. Um, but I don't think he's saying that you shouldn't, you, if you're feeling fear, you've got it wrong. Uh, and saying if you're, if, but if you, like Lauren said earlier, if that becomes the central thing, if that becomes what motivates the rest of what you do, if that becomes who you are, your identity, then actually that isn't the full truth of life in all its fullness that God has um, offered to us, which is that spirit of power, love and self-control. He's also, he's, he's not saying, um, don't be afraid is he he's, no. he doesn't say don't be afraid of anything he's saying that god's given us a spirit to help us overcome those fears which is a really important definition uh distinction sorry to make um yeah he's not saying you shouldn't be scared of anything he's saying yeah you access this the spirit god's given us which is not a spirit of fear but uh, well the spirit that uh, of being timid i think it says in one of the translations mm. Yeah, so should we go back to Jack's example? Um, he had a bit of a moral conundrum for us. So he said, um, for example, if we see an injustice that we can intervene in, but doing so could result in us being physically harmed or socially judged by peers, how do we then decide what to do when faced with 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 and the fear of intervening? And I guess going back to that thing of the biological inevitability of fear as a means to protect ourselves physical, physically, mentally and emotionally and spiritually i guess so yeah how would how would we hold all that in balance in whether we intervene in a, a real world problem that could cost us for me like so ed when you said that when you're put in a situation like you said you freeze and there's you it's a flight or fight situation i i strongly believe any sort of situation where you feel fearful your natural instinct will kick in before your brain does if that makes sense. So your subconscious will kick in before the conscious. So if, if you are someone who likes to fight the situation, your subconscious will kick in to confront that, but then you, you sub, your conscious will then say, Oh, what does the Bible say? What does God say? How, how would, what would Jesus do? That sort of situation. So like for me, if someone's about to punch me in the face, I'm always going to flight. I'm not going to like sit and think, Oh, what's, what's God said? I'm going to run. I'm not going to lie. So that's that's where I'm at with it, but I'd like to see what anyone else thinks. Like, yeah, that's another biological factor, isn't it? Our our instinct, our uh, yeah, our subconscious, like you say. Um, so that, yeah, that makes it even more tricky. <laughs> that's something that can be overridden, though, isn't it? When you look at think people like in war zones, or you know, guys who are fighting um, a terror and all these kind of things. And there's, there's vast crowds of people running away from this thing. And then there's these heroes running towards it. I think inside them, there's going to be some element of fear and there's going to be some element of the brain saying, this isn't a good idea, but they can somehow override that. Um, it'd be interesting to know how they're made up, whether they would be instinctively geared towards fight every time or whether they just conditioned themselves to be able to do that when, you know, when, there's a situation going off that they can just switch that off and go and do the job. I think like, like you say, you can, you can um, sort of train your brain into attacking it in a different way. Maybe attacks the wrong word when we're talking about fear uh, into responding in the right way. Mm. Um, like we said, if you, if you want to, if you apply the scripture that Jack's used for God has not given us a spirit of fear, intimacy, but one of power, love and self-discipline. If you in, include the, or self-control sometimes, um, if you include the self-control in that, that a bit to push back on your instincts as they arrive. And if you have a, if if you've mastered self-discipline, if if it's to if it's to fly and God doesn't want you to fly, then you would be able to think about that and maybe work it out in time to react in the correct way or the one that God wants you to react in. 
um, and that might be in a deal with the situation in a different way if that makes sense it's a pretty high bar isn't it oh yeah <laughs> it's not easy but so are we saying that in that situation ideally we would um try and try and right the injustice uh, re- regardless of the physical or um, emotional harm that that could come to us it's nice to say yeah of course and it, it's, it's, a, it's a really lovely thing to say yeah of course we should you know and if that costs our lives and it costs our <laughs> lives but that in, in practicality is very different um but i think my the argument would be i think we can all agree on is it's okay whatever however you're geared up you know if 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 you make a decision and then you think oh, i wish i'd have gone in and stepped in at that point or i couldn't quite see all the facts so i didn't didn't uh jump in or i was too scared to do something then you were too scared to do something then that and that's you know we can cut ourselves a little bit of slack from that i think sometimes like you said that high bar can sometimes be used as a stick beaters with yeah. um and it's nice to say do you know what yeah you know i'd jump in of course i would but actually the practicalities of it sometimes mean that we don't um mm. but i think if we learn from that and we and we can apply it in other ways then it's obviously a lesson a lesson learned but yeah, it's easy to give stock answers in it and say um, what's morally right is the absolute and that's what we should be doing it is it is really hard yeah and and it's true but sometimes you know it's not life's not always like that is it? yeah i think you've got to accept that i think part of it is accepting it in other people that other people aren't perfect and we sometimes judge ourselves by a stick that's not by a bar that's not actually there in anyone else and we'll beat ourselves with that and i heard a lot of people when they were talking about the um the killing of the guy in America where he was um the where the police have killed him and the name's just gone from my head as soon as I've said it. Yeah. Um and people were like uh, putting abuse on social media for the woman who was filming it mm. and saying, Well, why didn't you do something and step in? And like, well, in that situation, how can you expect someone to decide to risk their lives in in the same way for their probable death given that situation? It's such a difficult yeah. thing to expect of someone and how how many of us could you genuinely say you would do the same yeah and then that that's just opening a door to uh moral relativism and what is the yeah. right thing in that situation because you could argue her filming it has the best chance of bringing about justice for that situation that has a better chance than her trying to intervene physically or um like I, i've been reading it a little bit recently about a non-violent retaliation or uh, third way non-violence is sometimes referred to and I find that fascinating about how sometimes what we think is the right thing to do like, is to jump in and uh, retaliate with violence whether that is physical or whether that's using our words to put someone down or whatever and sometimes that can feel like justice sometimes that can feel like um, setting the world right but actually um, there is a, a gospel justice that sits outside of that um, and you know that maybe that's a whole nother topic to go into, but maybe taking a second <laughs> um, isn't the worst thing there before you dive into, um, I guess, enacting justice in the way that you see it. I think you've got to be honest with yourself as well. Like if you can't, if you can't be honest with yourself about the situation, like not every situation is going to be the same. So there will be times where your natural instinct will be different and what you've taught, what you've conditioned yourself to do will be different, varying on the severity of the situation. Like if, as a, as a, I think as long as you're honest with yourself and you're integral with what you do, it like, I don't really see a problem. Like, cause you're just you as a person, aren't you? Like, as long as you're just being yourself in that situation, no one can really fault you for that. Like, yeah, p- people always say like, Oh, but why didn't you do this? Or why didn't you do that? But it's like, in that unless you're in that situation like how do you know and it's that concept that we are imperfect beings as well and that we're all on a journey so it's like you said acknowledging being honest with yourself about a situation and then like nick said thinking about how you then learn from that situation and then how you might respond differently in the future and it's just that that reflective element of it like we're not going to get it right but it's Mm. but it's evaluating that and 
figuring out like what you would do differently next time and and seeking guidance on that yeah yeah i think if you if you've done what you honestly think is the best decision then for for the example that jack's given i think my answer would be it depends very much um but as long as you've done what you think is honestly the right thing and that requires a lot of self-reflection and it's hard for us to be honest completely with ourselves sometimes uh, but if you think you've honestly done what you think is the right decision in that then that's that's fair enough for me and even if you haven't but acknowledging that yeah it's okay too it's interesting distinction he makes as well from being physically harmed or socially judged like that was those, those two pillars that when i was trying to describe that those separates that we, we talked about in the, in the first place you know that perception of the perceptual fear and the, the actual fear of of harm mm. and i do a question off the back of that would be do we judge those two things as equal um or do we give one more as i said earlier we don't often have that that physical threat to life you know if we live in life in you know the way that we do apart from maybe getting in the scrap in in the town center on a night out if you know those those kind of situations where there's a, a threat of physical harm we don't have too much of the uh, fear of, of death and all those kind of things in, in, you know, what is essentially middle-class Britain. Um, so do we, do we tend to lean, I know personally, I tend to lean more towards the, that social harm than physical harm. I think I'd probably rather be harmed physically than socially, if that makes sense. I don't know if you guys, how, how you guys see that or whether that strikes a chord or whether that's just me definitely know what you mean um i'm not sure if it's just because like you said we don't really experience physical harm so yeah. it's, it's maybe a stronger or a more relatable uh fear um but i think there is a big a big part of how i perceive my personal fears as being my how i'm perceived by others or insecurity around in something that would people perceive stupid or you know some, somewhere down that road is probably where i'm most conscious of fear in life i guess it's, it's down to more physical level as well if you're more scared of death or pain or that sort of situation you might prefer to be uh, you might prefer the social harm of consequence rather than the physical when it's like i think i'm similar with unique whereas i feel like i'd like to say i'd rather take a physical harm than a social harm but that's just because it's probably down somewhere that i'm more fearful of like social perception than it is yeah, like, definitely. pain I don't know where I am with that. <laughs> don't know. Um, so answer to your question, Jack. We don't know. No. <laughs> yeah. What okay. would you do? We'd like you to answer your own question, actually, in the listening group. <laughs> uh, actually, I'm going to say that for everyone. We'd love to hear your answers to your own questions and each other's. Um, so please do log on to the listening group and, and yeah, let us know your thoughts. Um, even if you didn't submit a question, what did you think to the questions that... Uh, we've spoken about so we've got one more one more person haven't we uh to read their question so alex has submitted a question and paul is going to read that for us uh yes yeah, so thanks alex um alex's question is how can we as christians better understand and encourage more openness and discussion about mental health and conditions such as anxiety stress reaction depression ptsd etc um in which fear can be a significant factor um even life journey events such as grief can generate fear in different forms. Is there still a narrative within some churches that you're, if you're living with such conditions? If so, how can we work to change this? So I think this is probably split. Oh, it's easiest to split. Can we as Christians better understand and encourage more openness and discussion about mental health and conditions um, such as the anxiety, depression, PTSD, etc.? I think my answer to that would be like, it'd be very easy and naive as Christians to think that just by telling someone all of the and it's going to fix depression by just saying, Oh, if you pray better. So I think I go implement Christianity within counseling and within the actual information you open because there's been a massive change in how we perceive mental health now. And it's it, everyone can be so much more open with it. Christians, to just be open with the fact that God can answer everything, but at that moment in time, God might not be. God 
a physical conversation with someone or uh, not God might need, but the person might need that. I I think anyway, because I've struggled when people, when, I, when I've been struggling with anxiety and people, I am already praying about it. And if you could do anything else to help me, I would really appreciate that. So thank you. But yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it's too easy to uh, just respond to those sort of conversations by saying, I'll oh, just pray about it and God will, God will deal with it. Because, you know, as much as we always want to encourage people praying about stuff, you know, that there are biological and actual actual things that we need to look into, that this isn't uh, just some sort of um, problem of lack of faith like she alludes to later on in the question. Um, I think, for me, I, I've noticed, and I don't know whether people disagree with me on this, but there are a number of uh, topics and a number of um, things in which... I, I reckon society and secular culture is really leading the the church in um, and is really dragging the church along with. And I think one of those um, topics is um, in mental health and the way that there's been so many initiatives to destigmatize uh, mental health and counseling and um, talking about anxiety and depression Um yeah, I think to be honest, we need to the first of all, we need to learn lessons from our learn lessons from our culture, because actually that is making huge strides um, that perhaps the church isn't keeping up with. Um, we need to try and yeah, just just destigmatizing it is one of the biggest things that so we can talk about it and uh, help people understand. So I know that I I've really struggled in the past to understand what people talk about when they speak about anxiety because. I hadn't experienced it in the same way as other people. Uh, so it's, yeah, just trying to understand has been quite difficult, but that only comes through openly talking with people about it and seeking to um, understand before seeking to cure with our um, spiritual advice, I guess, sometimes. Um, we, as, we, as we discussed before, we don't always get the miracle. So, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't always happen that way, but it doesn't mean that there are other things working or other there's i know we, we chatted about the smaller miracles or those little bits that kind of fit in to the jigsaw just s- somehow along the way that help us um with that journey so i think yeah combining the two i think i'd say that i don't want to de- diminish the power of prayer but also i really yeah really want to encourage people to to be practical about it as well have you seen the analogy where someone's like out at sea and the boat's crashed or it's sunk or whatever. And then the, the person says, oh, I'm going to pray that God will help us. And then uh, a lifeguard comes and the person says, oh, no, don't worry, God's going to help me. So the boat goes and then another one comes and he says the same thing. And then another one comes and he says the same thing. I think it's, it's like that where there's been a stigma in the past where we think, oh, we're waiting for God to do something. We're waiting for God to physically come and show me where actually God is working through other people to work with me. Like it's not just a me and God thing. It's me and God's community thing to help me. Yeah. The the punchline to that analogy is that they die and they go to heaven and say, God, why didn't you help me? And he says, I sent three lifeboats. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's, it's really common that people forget that. Yeah. You, you pray for all these things, but God's already manifested his, his healing power in other things that we have access to. Um, and it's some, sometimes a, a much more helpful fix to to help someone as as a person living out God's kingdom than to just say, oh, yeah, you just go away now and you pray about it because it's nothing to do with me. Yeah. And it, it kind of it calls back to the, like the very nature of of God, doesn't it? Because we believe in a God who is uh, in community with himself and wants to be in community with us. And that theme of community is just like throughout the bible and is repeated in all sorts of ways and it it just so ties in that you know he wants us to be in community with each other he wants us to rely on each other he wants us to use our gifts and talents to help each other um so yeah we should do that i think like you're saying about the stigmatizing things ed i think the conversation needs to be had particularly i think amongst our age groups um there's a lot of conversation about mental health and we and we're trying to understand it particularly myself i mean if you'd have asked me five years ago about these these kind of issues i'd have been that well 
not really too interested in it and people can kind of pull themselves together and get on with it but that's really really unhelpful um i think but since these conversations have started i feel like i've been a little more enlightened as to how how these issues affect people how that's not just um it's not just you know in in the mind but actual physical um sort of reactions to things as well um, and that's really helped me just in conversation, just from listening to guys on the radio, discussing things, just chatting to you guys and hearing some, you know, personal stories of people that I'm close to how these issues have affected people. That's really helped me to understand and to empathize and also to offer a little bit more of a, um, a practical help as we were discussing earlier as to things that we can do. But that only happens through conversation. And as I say, our age group is starting to get, and we're still not perfect. And I think particularly uh, as a bloke in, in his 30s, it's not, you know, I think there's still a big stigma towards these kind of issues, which really, really shouldn't be because if we were actually, you know, deeply honest and critical with ourselves in a group of people, we'd find there were a lot of common issues going on. Um, but doing that in church where we've got cross generations becomes a little bit more difficult particularly with particularly older generations where there's not that level of understanding where it's been a case of where we just kind of buckle down and get on with it because that's how we've done it for the last 50 60 70 years um i think it's really important to stimulate that debate and have those conversations this, this links to the well i think it links to the second part of alex's question which was about do you believe there is still a narrative within some churches that your faith isn't strong enough if you're living with such conditions, if so, how can we work to change this? Like you say, the church is very cross-generational and in the UK, we've got an aging population. So naturally the ages in the churches are going to be older, where the stigma around mental health is still there. It's not, it's not a topic of conversation as, as open as widely as our age group will do it. So it's how do we get that conversation to be open with those older generations? And how, how do we try and battle the stigma with a group of people that have believed oh, suck it up and get on with it for 50 years like that's that's that is their life and that's the habits that they've built yeah i wonder do what do you guys think about that thing is there still a narrative within church that your uh, if your, your your faith isn't strong enough if you're living with those conditions is that something you've come across in your experience um i'm i'm not sure whether there's a narrative of that but i think there's i think sometimes that can be used as a an easy way to get out of a hard question where you can say oh like like um like we said about the first answer is to pray about it that's the one thing that i don't have involvement in if i'm telling you to do it whereas if i was if i were to listen to that and say yeah this is something that i could help you with this is what i'm going to do about it to help you that's something that requires my my input so i think sometimes i, I think there probably is a little bit of uh oh well, you just need to improve your faith but I think also it can be a laziness of, oh, I, I don't really want to get involved in this. So I'm just going to palm it off. I really hate that your faith isn't isn't strong enough like that. It really grinds me, that, that statement, because your faith is your faith. Like, strong enough compared to what? Like, what, what we what's the measuring stick there that we're going to compare, compare faith beyond people? Because if we're going to compare me to, to Paul to Jacob well we've all grown up in different households in different times in different places with different families with different issues there's uh, with yeah so many different nuances within that so how can we then start comparing this you know our faith when there's all these factors that, that build into it but I think the, the most important thing that I've I've um, thought about around this this issue particularly of faith and and the the levels within it if you if you want to term it that way which don't exist is that god knows exactly who we are where we're at and how we've arrived there so and the the, the bible's terms as the wonderful counselor to me that was kind of just a throwaway comment but actually if you look at that like the fact that god can counsel us to actually fully understanding where we're at where we've been we know where we're going to and in that journey, there's such a massive sense of peace that comes with that because, you know, your faith is is your faith. And yes, of course, we want a strong faith and we want to, to you know, to be uh, able to believe all of these things and all the promises in the Bible. But sometimes it can be can be tough. And I think that's all right. And I, I want to I want us as a church to get away from this 
you know, well, you know, pull your boots up, pull your socks up, we're, we'll be fine, you know, chin up, the stiff British upper lip and all that. Sometimes life's not like that. And sometimes things do affect our faith, external things, and pretending that doesn't happen is really, really dangerous. So I'd really like us as a church to to kind of understand a little bit better about each other, firstly. But second of all, just understand that we're not going to understand everything about somebody else. So um, I think there's some, yeah, there's some, some really important points made, really important points made there by Alex. Um, and I think it's really key that we, we talk about them properly. I mean, to some extent, it, it can be argued as well that if someone isn't saying your faith isn't strong enough or giving that sort of vibe that it's, it's, they've got some sort of fear that they're dealing with about it as well. If they've got the fear of giving the wrong advice or the fear that they're wrong, like the fear plays a massive part of that because I'm not comfortable with giving people advice if I don't know it's right. And I'm, if and they I'm are sure, saying that, they are wrong. <laughs> I'd go out and say that. <laughs> but that, that I'm makes sure many people disagree. That the fear of change there's a fear there of then changing and trying to do something else about it rather than just sticking with the oh we'll pray about it and we'll read his bible and we'll get that it's it's the fear of doing something new which they don't understand to then try and change that i think you also get an insecurity from people when they see a flaw in someone else they have to point it out because they feel insecure about Mm -hmm. themselves so i think maybe you get a bit of finger pointing of someone saying oh well this is wrong with you so We'll concentrate on that so we don't look at what what I think's wrong with me. Yeah. So you sometimes get a bit of deflection around around this kind of issue. It's hard as well. Like that self reflection is is the hardest bit. It's, you know, what is it that's driving me? Why am I making the decisions that I've I've made? And you know, what is it that's led me to this point? But you can't then be expected to do that for somebody else because you, you can't. You just can't do it. But my point earlier was that that God can do that. God can understand where we are why we've made decisions that we've made. And even if they're bad decisions or decisions that are easily criticised, there'll be a reason somewhere in our psyche or within us that's that's driven us to make those decisions. Um, and I think it, it's it's about cutting each other some slack, but I think it's also about cutting ourselves some slack sometimes um, and just allowing us to be on a journey and, and that journey is going in a direction. I think that's the most important, important part. If we were going to give some like actual advice, then so how would we go to work to change the system in this church? Like, what if you had to go to your church leader now and say, "Look, I want to open up the mental health talk about the church. I want, I want to embrace some of these things that's happening. Like, how would we do that?" Yeah, I think it's it's a really important question, and I, I love that Alex has asked that thing about the narrative of your faith isn't strong enough, especially because you know that I do believe that narrative is alive and well in the church. I've seen it in a number of places and I've seen the effect it has on people and it's not good um, to say the least. And I, yeah, I think essentially in, in many ways it comes down to bad theology. It comes down to a bad understanding of who God is. And it, in many ways to me points towards a very surface level like oh you read it you read something and then you just take it as that and never question it so for me the answer to this is discipleship it's you know really learning to grapple with these topics together it's uh, encouraging people to meet and have conversations like we're having now like the number of things that i've learned from you guys just doing this podcast uh it, it's it this shouldn't be an unusual thing within the church we should be able to uh, be having these conversations we should be able to journey and grow together and challenge each other where we're wrong and uh, yeah I think the only way we're going to see narratives that are um, hurtful and destructive like this being dismantled within the church is by uh, a reimagining of what discipleship looks like and uh, firing people up to take uh, take things more seriously I guess and perhaps delve further than what's comfortable for them yeah and and i also think it comes down to like vulnerability and um and allowing people the space to be vulnerable and to share their experiences um and i really believe in like the power of testimony um to help people to to educate them in a way i guess uh, to help them like empathize like you were saying nick like how where you were five years ago to where you are now from hearing other people's stories i think that that's got to be a massive part of how we dismantle it because people need to be exposed to it they need time to hear about it they need to see people making themselves vulnerable um 
and then hopefully that that will allow for some of those tough tough conversations like you said Ed to happen I think part of that as well is not being vulnerable about yourself but sort of building other people up in that um so when people are then vulnerable to to jump straight in with building them up um something I was thinking earlier and I've got absolutely no psychological or spiritual backing for what I'm saying right now um so please tell me if I'm wrong um but in my experience of people who've sort of battling with anxiety or that kind of thing um I'm going to use Lauren as an example because she's there and said she doesn't like having control um I think that's because or I think maybe part of that is because you're really good at controlling as in you're a very organized person and I think actually maybe it's a, a side effect of the skill that you have and I think a lot of people who have anxiety about um, caring about small things that like become exaggerated or caring about what people think is because quite often they're very caring people and that then affects them in a in a similar way because because they're so caring like, in, in a good way. Does that make sense? And I think building that up and remembering that that actually is a strength, not a weakness, can make a big impact. 100%. Yeah, I think we see other people how we see ourselves sometimes, don't we? I think that's, and sometimes an expectation that people will act the way that we're acting or vice versa. And I think that can sometimes build into all those kind of inner conversations that, that we have. Um, I think that's a really good point, Paul. I think we should probably start drawing the podcast to a close there. This might have been a little bit of a long one, but I think it was worth it because, um, you know, I've certainly learned a lot from this conversation and it's been great to hear uh, your thoughts. And it's been really great to have these questions to guide us through this conversation because I think they've stretched us in ways that perhaps we wouldn't have stretched each other without. So, yeah, thank you, Alex, Jack and, and Emily for contributing those questions. Um yeah, please do uh, always let us know your thoughts on anything we've talked about or anything you want us to talk about in the future because it's immensely helpful uh, for us. Okay, so until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.